0: Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. We are a Southern Baptist church dedicated to seeking the glory of God by proclaiming the gospel in all that we do. If you would like more information, please visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org. Chapter 6 Uh, is where we'll be. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter six. uh, And while you're turning and transitioning, let me pass along several uh, things to you. Uh, One is uh, next week, uh, baptisms. Um, I kind of jokingly last weekend said that the lake is big enough for more. And uh, we're now up to four people being baptized. So I'll say it again. There's more room in the lake. Uh, uh, If you have turned to Christ to be saved, but have not yet uh, followed in that step of obedience, of baptism, to be identified with Christ, Um, we encourage you, plead with you to do this, to obey Jesus. Uh, So if you're interested in that, come talk with me. There are conversations we have to have about that, Uh, but I'm willing to meet with you midnight, two in the morning, whatever it takes uh, to get ready for that to happen if you want to do that this weekend. Um, Another one, um, uh, exciting announcement coming up in development. Uh, we have a groundbreaking ceremony that is planned um, for the new church building. So this is this is a big deal. Um, August 27th. August 27th. That's a Friday um, at 1 o'clock Eastern in the afternoon. Uh, there's going to be that kind of ceremonial stand around, you know, paper takes pictures, gold shovels kind of thing. Uh, that's there. Uh, I was told that normally there's not that many come, uh, that there's maybe 20 people at most. I said, well, we'll see. Uh, I want to pass it on to you. It's not the kind of thing, like don't think that there's going to be a hundred of us there. I wouldn't object to it if there was. But if you want to come out and see that, participate, um, we're at least going to try to uh, say the gospel to the local press and pray um, together over the the thing. And it'd be about a 15-ish minute kind of thing there. So know that that's going on. Uh, next, uh, kind of a, a church family matter, I, I want to ask you to be praying um, for our church as, as, as you, you're aware of what's going on in society around us. Um, as the, the COVID stuff is increasing, so also is escalating the disagreement uh, in culture around us. That brings the potential uh, for disagreement amongst the church family. Um, I, I want to ask you to pray. Pray that we um, pray for Christ Church in general. Pray that this church, that we will glorify God through whatever is coming, that we will glorify God um, by wisdom. That we will glorify God um, by extending grace to one another because there there is going to be seeing things differently amongst Christians. Pray for ourselves that we will be able to extend grace to those we disagree with. Pray for one another. Pray that we will glorify God in this season. And uh, coming to then the text now. In Deuteronomy chapter six, this is the last sermon um, in this series uh, that we have been looking at, a break from the book of Romans, a series of warnings uh, to the church, uh, things to take heed to. So over the last uh, month or so, we've taken a look at the the escalation of uh, the godless ideology of CRT in our nation, and we've looked to see what the Bible has to say on that. Uh, We've given a call of the warning of persecution and the preparation for Christians that is needed. Then last weekend, I I preached a message of warning concerning the battle for our children. We continue a part two of that today um, and moving to specifics. So in order to have a truth that we look at, Deuteronomy chapter six, I'm gonna read verses one through nine, then pray, and then we'll look to it. So Deuteronomy six, begin with me in verse one. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you were going over to possess it so that you and your son And your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life so that your days may be prolonged. Oh, Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them. Diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Let's pray. God Almighty, we sons and daughters come and bow recognizing we come to you not based on any merit in us. There's nothing in us that's worthy. We come to you claiming only your grace through the blood of your son, which we have received simply by faith, not by earning it, but as a gift by grace. We come and we pray, oh Lord, hallow your name. We ask God that you'll show us more of yourself. We pray, oh God, that you will give us understanding of your word. Lord, we know. That there are times that we, we read the Bible and it's just words on a page. Either for us just not paying attention or not being spiritually ready for it, we get, we get little or nothing out of it. And then we know that there are times that just one sentence of your word just changes our lives. Lord, I ask that this morning, it, this is what you would do. That by looking at your word and considering your truths, your will, your purposes. Lord, I pray that you will give us that kind of understanding where your word comes alive inside of us. That it's it's not falling on hard hearts, but on, on hearts that have been tilled. The ground has been made ready. So Lord, we pray you will do this. Lord, I, I pray for every household um, here this morning listening online. I ask, oh God, that you will bring great grace so that there will be obedience to this, progress made. But Lord, we also pray for us as a whole church, Lord, that we will implement these things in a way that raises up generations of of God fearers and obeyers and worshipers, uh, Lord, in the generations to come. So please bring this about. We pray for our little ones in the next room. We ask your grace on them, protection, blessing, that they will learn your word and believe. We pray for us in here. Help me to preach. Help all of us to worship as we receive it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every time I preach on either marriage or raising children or singleness, um, I feel the need to give a defense Uh, For the fact to appeal that this is indeed for everyone, even if your current life situation isn't uh, in this particular one. For the same reason that you need to know about gravity. Uh, You may not be a physicist, um, but this is the world you live in. Uh, God made a world with gravity. You need to know how to operate in light of those things. This is the world that God has made. We all of us need to know how it functions uh, on the battlefield. Uh, The soldiers need to know the jobs of other soldiers and what is happening there because what they do affects what you do. And there's also the sense that God is displaying his glory By his overall will. And when we understand everything that God is doing, we we understand the bigger picture and how he is uh, working his purposes. And let me say this word to us collectively. Um, You know, so a lot of what we're going to talk about today um, concerns households, and I'm praying there will be very specific application. But let me address the church as a whole, us, family, corporately. It is a reality if we are going to bear the kind of fruit that God wants in the future, generations to come, not only from individual households, but we as a church corporately, raising up generations to come, we will have to take the application of the things we're talking about today and not only do them, make them the culture, make them the atmosphere uh, that exists here um, in all things, that this is what is expected. This is what we do here. We all know the game plan and we're striving to put it into practice. Uh, last week, I preached um, the message of warning, the overall call of parenting and a word of exhortation. This week, it's my intention to move towards application, specific instruction, and so l- let's do this by um, beginning in an overview. I want to walk through this passage we read, verses 1 through 9, uh, in kind of a, a drive-by pace, you know, a quick kind of walkthrough. Won't be every truth that we could see there. But then what I want to do is then take that overall um, truth and then begin to apply it. So walk through 1 through 9 with me, um, please. You notice in verses 1 through 2, The spirit led Moses, the prophet to preach, to preach the call to obey, obey the commandments, the statutes and the judgments of God and to teach their generations to do the same. And by the way, the New Testament teaches us how to read places like the book of Deuteronomy. And so we can say we are. Are being taught to obey the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, and to teach our children, our generations to do the same. Verse two, he says, I tried to emphasize this when I was reading. He says, so you, your son and your grandson. See what's being referred to there. So you, your son and your grandson will fear the Lord, obey the Lord, worship the Lord, love the Lord, serve the Lord. And... He didn't even stop there. Remember that phrase in the text? All the days of your life. All the days of your life. To engage in this in such a way that it's not a brief little five-year season of your life, but that you set yourself to the plow in such a way you do this all the days of your life so that your son will do this all the days of his life and your grandson will do this all the days of his life. What do we see here? Once again, the will of God is the raising up of generations, plural, fearers, obeyers, worshipers of the Lord. How does that happen? How does that happen? Do you see that one of the points in the text, if you're, if you're going you're to write out, what does the text teach? One of the points of the text is that this will not happen naturally. It will not happen naturally. Do you see the text is charging and even pleading, even pleading to show you that if it's going to happen, it will not happen naturally. Normal won't cut it. If it is going to happen, It is going to come by an uncommon kind of devotion in you, moms and dads, an uncommon kind of lifestyle in your family and some uncommon kinds of practices in your households. So watch what happens. That command is given and and then it's like Moses does some preaching on that. So watch how he does it. Verse four. Verse four is probably the single most famous verse to the Jewish people. Uh, It is known as the Shema, which is the Hebrew word for hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the divine name, Yahweh. Yahweh is our God and Yahweh is one. It is a statement of theology and a statement of doxology. So it means it's a statement of doctrine, but it's a statement of worship. This is a proclamation of joy and reverence and worship. Yahweh is our God, not to be confused with idols, images, imaginations of the mind. We have one we serve. He is God Almighty. He is and he is one. Put away your idols. So a statement of worship, doxology, and then comes verse five with a command. Love him. Love him. 50 sermons in that verse. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So, with all of your affection, with all of your emotion, with all of your passions. We love the Lord your God with all of your soul. So, with all that is within me, to, to the secret parts of the thoughts and motives and intentions all the way to those secret thoughts that nobody else knows. Love him there and then love him with all of your might. Meaning, put action to your love. Obey the Lord in love as expression of your Lord. Serve, care for the widow and the orphan out of love for God. Uh, Orient your life around obedience out of your love for God. And then... 6 through 9. Notice in verses 6 through 9, they contain at least four. I'm going to point out four things you must do with the Word of God. So to, to comment on that, if you are going to love and obey and worship and walk in the statutes of God, the Word of God must be a central part of your life. It is impossible People try it, but it is impossible to walk in obedience, worship, service, fear, and love of the Lord and ignore the word of God. The word of God must not only be part of your life, it must, it must reside as a central place within you. Uh, If you ignore the word of God, you will not be able to walk in obedience and worship and love. God has made this world in this time. We engage with him through his word. So four things that we must do with the word of God. First in verse six, it must reside in your heart. It must reside in your heart. The word of God must so saturate your life. That it oozes into all of your thinking. That it doesn't matter what subject you're thinking about. You are thinking about it in terms of the word of God. When you're studying math facts, you're thinking of Jesus as the one who created the cosmos with a world of order like that. The word of God must abide in our hearts, abide in our thoughts. His words must be precious to us. Second, Teach the word of God to your children. This means formal instruction. Parents are commanded by God to teach the scriptures to their children. I'm obviously coming back to this one. Third, converse with your children about the word of God. This is a command to informal instruction. Formal and informal. Let me, let me comment on that for just a bit here. Both of these are needed. Both formal and informal instruction, there's a there's a place for both of them. Your, your family might be better at one or the other. One might come more naturally to you. Both of them have a role and a place that they serve. And, and, and uh, all right, so as I address, okay, I'm going to speak, you know, if, if you're a, a young one in here and you don't have kids yet, okay, you study now to, for what you're going to do later. But I am going to address parents. But as the Bible does, I am most specifically going to address parents fathers as I address you fathers okay uh, I am also speaking to you mothers you understand that but the Bible most specifically lays the weight of responsibility on fathers so fathers understand that when you do these two things there's more being demonstrated more being preached than just the truths that you communicate. You're showing more than just what you talk about. There is a certain kind of devotion to God that you demonstrate fathers when your children know, in our family, we do this. This, this is what we do. Dad, he gets us together. He sits us down. He teaches the Bible. This is the culture of this family. It's not weird. It's not awkward. At the supper table, we talk about the truths of God. Okay, uh, Fathers, your children see that you are in submission to God when you do this. So you, over the course of years, you'll teach thousands of, Of truths. And those truths are all important. But part of what I'm saying is you're preaching something else by the fact that you do it. You are showing you are in submission to God. You know, when, when your family comes to recognize, they won't see this when they're five, but as, they, as your children grow, they'll come to see that this is important to you. That when you come from wh- home from work and though you're tired and you just want to sit and watch TV because you're exhausted, still you gather the family together and you instruct them in the scriptures, you are showing something. You are showing that you count God worthy of bowing to And then likewise, you also demonstrate something crucial when you converse informally about the word of God. You show your children sincerity. You show your children that you do really love the Lord. You you serve him not just because you have to. You serve him because you want to. He is the treasure. So, So you're working in the yard. With your family, and uh, you, you call the kids over because you, you you see some moth and it's just got exquisite beauty and you and you point out to your kids and you're just like you know look at this guys look at the artwork of God's creation look you know look at His glory think about what this demonstrates and His His glory is is all around us that truth that you're pointing out that's important it's an important truth but you're also demonstrating to them you love Him He is worthy. of, Of worship. I I don't just bow to Him in submission because I have to, and technically He's the sovereign ruler. He is the treasure. He is our inheritance. We love Him. Fourth, fourth thing to do with the Word of God, verses eight through nine you must fill your life with the word of God so that it surrounds you everywhere you turn. Moses used a figure of speech there. Um, Make it be one of the things he says there as a frontlets between your eyes. Uh, That's a figure of speech kind of comparable to maybe our modern expression, tattoo it on your forehead. Meaning, make this message to, to be something you think about every single day. Fill your life with the word of God. Hang pictures with scripture written on it. Wear t-shirts with the gospel, okay? Um, Put it on your bumper stickers, okay? Make God's word fill your life so that everywhere you turn, it's written on the doorpost and the gates of the city. Remind yourself everywhere you turn. Now, after walking through verses one through nine, very quickly, I want you to notice this. This passage is not primarily about parenting. It's about parenting. It's not only about parenting. It's not even primarily about parenting. It's about the glory and the kingdom of God. It is about things that okay, are bigger than parenting. Yes, there are things that are bigger. Parenting serves a higher purpose. The glory and the kingdom of God. So it's not only or even primarily about parenting, but it is a helpful place to look to when considering our job description as parents. So I want to take this passage and those four things that we saw to do with the word of God and I want to apply them. So taking the truth that we've considered from these last two weeks, uh, you may consider this to be extended application. I wanna give you four points of application from these things we have looked at. It'll be teach, train, discipline, love. Four points, here's the first, teach. Parents, to review, teach your children the word of God, both formally and informally. Now let's spend a little bit of time on each one of these. The Bible never tells us uh, what method we must use in order to formally teach. Uh, We've we've made the point over the years that there are lots of different ways, uh, lots of latitude from culture to culture, family to family, that one method might work better than another. What we are commanded, though, is to do it. And I'm going to word it like this. We are shown, we are commanded to make it priority. Priority to make it priority in our households, that is the only way it will actually happen. That is the only way it will actually happen if it is priority to you. Because I, I wanna go ahead and plead with you with the objection that is always first raised when we teach this. So I wanna appeal to you fathers. You are not too Busy for this. You are not too busy for this. Um, y- y- you might be busy, but you would never say, uh, This week I'm too busy to breathe or I'm too busy to eat. Okay. Now, when I say things like that, people, okay, here's the response. Here's pastor getting dramatic again, always exaggerating. And they may object to say something like, Hey, that's not the same thing. That's not fair. Breathing and eating is something I have to do. Hold up. We just revealed something. We just got to the root of the issue. If you believe that instruction of the word of God is nice but optional and not necessary for survival, then you will overcrowd your life. You will have your children signed up for every sport, every program, 47 Taekwondo classes, whatever that is filling up your schedule. You might be too busy for 65 hours of work. You might be too busy for all the extracurriculars you have going, but you are not too busy for the instruction of the word of God. Because as the angels see it, as reality is, this is a non-negotiable instruction of the word of God. It is a fact that and take this to all matters of the commandments of God. We do what we want to do. We find a way. We find a way to do what we want to do. When, when, a, when a family really wants to drive a nice car, they find a way to make that happen. We do what we want to do. We carve out and we make Priority to what we want. And part of the point that the Bible is teaching here is that this must be a matter of priority. There are lots of ways to do it over the years as we've, we've preached on this here. Um, I've mentioned various different methods for how this can happen. You can do things as simple as read a chapter of the Bible and explain it. That would just be like the most basic way of doing this. Uh, you can listen to great sermons online. Just gather the family, hit play for 20 minutes. Tomorrow night, do the same Things systematically work through, you know, just phenomenal sermons. You can read through great books together. You can memorize catechisms together, um, etc. But let me let me offer offer this question to you, fathers: What curriculum do you know that your children need by the time they leave your care? What curriculum? In other words. By the time they leave your home, you are responsible for providing for their formation. So what curriculum is going to get them to that desired end. So whatever age it is in your mind that they're going to be leaving your home, okay, uh, what do they need to know by that point? Now work backwards. At what age do we need to implement these things? What books do you want to make sure they have read through with you? Um, what what sermons do you want to make sure they have heard? What, what 100 conversations need to happen? of a significant conversation with your children by the time they lead your home. I want to plead with you fathers to give serious time of consideration to this. Give serious consideration not only to how to implement it, but also the strategy behind it. Next subpoint, so still under teach, now comes the informal part. Conversations about the truths of God Obedience to God, the glory of God, should be a, a steady stream of water that never stops flowing in our households. So there should be, you know, conversations that, that happen, but not just happen. This needs to become part of the culture of your family that your children just understand. Dad teaches a lot. <laughs> uh, you know, this is this is what dad does. Dad teaches. Dad tells us stories with morals. I had one of my daughters, I didn't plan for this, but we'll, we'll throw it in there. I had one of my daughters who who eventually one night said, Dad, could you tell us a story for once that doesn't have a moral to it? You know, at the end, because all the stories had some principle that are there and they got tired of it always having some big, deep agenda that is there. It needs to become part of the culture of our our household. Um, let me kind of illustrate it. Sometimes um, a parent will, will come up and ask a question like, how do I talk to my kids about sex or whatever. And my answer that I give, um, it'll sound a little smart alecky. Okay. But I, I really don't mean it to me. I have a point behind it. Um, my counsel is walk up to them and say, Hey, bud, we need to talk about sex. Okay. And if there has been a culture of conversation where it's just already understood, this is what we do in our family. Dad teaches dad. We do this a lot, that kind of thing. It won't be, well, it'll still be awkward, but it may not be horrifying, uh, in that instance. But if the family doesn't have a, culture of instruction where this thing is regularly done then yeah it will seem strange at first but your children need to know that teaching is part of your job and for them to expect it number two train application number two train part of the passage and part of quite a few other passages tell us to teach but, but i want you to track with me here to teach obedience to teach practice, to teach virtue. And so what we mean by this now is not simply the instruction of truths, it is working with our children to develop practices and the uh, these virtues, these skills, uh, to help them implement truths into their lives. So when we say, We need to teach our children how to work. We understand that we mean more than just have a Bible study. What are we talking about there? We're talking about a a broader approach that, yes, begins with truth. Because, by the way, every one of these virtues and every skill that we want to teach them, it always starts with truth. It always starts with theology. There's a reason why we use the language of a good work ethic. It's because there are beliefs internally that produce a uh, hard work. But it's more than that. It's more than just Bible study. It may involve things like working alongside of your child and when they demonstrate laziness, correcting that and giving them a little pep talk to keep going may may even involve some rewards that you want to give them when they have worked hard. But it is developing a practice in their life so that they learn a biblical skill. They learn something. You might think of this as application to the biblical instruction, be doers of the word and not merely hearers. Training is to facilitate practice so that they gain proficiency in the skill or the virtue that you're trying to help them develop. All right? So parents, train your children to be courageous. How do we do that? Well... We begin with the theology of courage. You read David and Goliath and you talk through, what is it that made David brave? And we talk about that it was his confidence in God, his understanding that God is sovereign over all things and that he can depend on, rely on God. So you are developing within their thinking the theology, but it also means giving them opportunities to practice. It means that in moments where they demonstrate cowardice, that you offer some corrective words, they give a little pep talk before they go do something a little bit scary, and then we increase from there. You know, we can begin things like this with our, our youngest children in things as simple as, okay, hun, today whenever we order our food, I want you to tell the waitress what you want. I don't want to, daddy. I can't do that. Yes, you can. You can do this, and we're helping them to uh, to take little moments like this and develop courage, and then moving on from there. Train your children to show respect, to be respectful. This involves teaching, correction, helping them sometimes with examples of, here's how you could have said that a little bit better um, in some of those moments. Train your children to be gracious, to be patient, to be loving, which means you got to have family Bible study on this. Uh, What's our motive for showing grace to others? God has been gracious to us. What's our motive for forgiving our enemies? God has forgiven us. And then when there's a moment and they lash out at a sibling, now there's an opportunity for correction and discipline. And then uh, again, a, a talk that helps them see how they could have done this. Training means developing in our children the ability to live in this world and fulfill their purpose. What is their purpose? What's the creation mandate? Go forth and bear fruit. Go multiply, go flourish, go prosper, go bear much fruit, go build, go be industrious. We are to be forming them into um, people that are able to live in this world and bear fruit. And so so let let me give a caution here. If your child's existence um, consists entirely of entertainment, entertainment all the time, the watching of TV for hours and hours, the video games, the tablets, the phones all the time, does it make sense that we now um, as a generation, as a culture bigger than this room, we're raising a, a generation that is going to be useless to society? And I know you may think that that word useless is too harsh. It's used in the Bible. It is used in the Bible to refer to those who cannot fulfill their purpose, okay? Does it make sense that whatever you do regularly is catechizing you? Whatever you do regularly, it's formative, okay? You watch Fox News or CNN regularly, It's formative. It is catechizing you. If you choose to rejoice every single day, that's formative. If you choose to grumble every single day, that's formative. Everything you do regularly is formative. Does it it make sense that if we raise our children to where the entirety of their life is, you know, they just sit in front of a TV and they stay out of trouble? what they're going to turn out to be. We are catechizing and forming individuals that cannot live and function and work and thrive and flourish and have conversations with people where they look them in the eyes, okay? We we are raising a generation here that are going to be useless to society. How amazing will it be when Christians do something different, okay? But this is gonna, this takes more, this takes an understanding, a bigger understanding of God's purpose for us See, because sometimes it's argued something like, well, you know, my kid watches TV all night long, but you know, at least he's not out starting gangs and snorting coke. Okay, well, yeah, that's, that's good. Glad that's not happening. Okay, but we've got some bigger purposes here. Okay, we've got some bigger things. God doesn't want duds. God doesn't want puddles of mediocrity. So let me say this to everyone in the room. He wants you to grow to be a sage. He wants you to become a mighty man of God. He wants you to grow into a mighty woman of the scriptures. He wants people of the world to come to you and seek counsel. He wants you to be the kind of person that you demonstrate godliness by how you live. When we get a picture of what God wants and we raise the bar beyond that just not starting gangs... Raise the bar to where God wants you to be. And then understand, I have the responsibility to provide for the formation of my children so that they grow to be mighty, that they exude godliness. We, we begin to see that what God calls us to do is, is bigger than just keep them from smoke and crack. It's more than this. God wants your children to grow mighty. L- lead them to form into that. We cannot make them love God and love his truth, but we are to provide for their formation and there are character traits that we can implement. Application number three, discipline. Discipline. Without question, Scripture calls us, and this would be a part of the formation of our children. If we are going to teach them this obedience, then discipline is a necessary application. Without question, Scripture calls us to discipline and to discipline physically. Proverbs 13, 24. He who withholds his rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Uh, And as we've mentioned in the past, when you hear the rod there, don't think how Paul was beaten with rods. Think of a small instrument like a ruler, a wooden spoon, an implement to be used in spanking there. And when it says to discipline your child diligently, that doesn't mean harshly or severely. It means consistently, regularly. Now, Of course, we we need to address the softness of our culture, right? Everything offends today. So, this one shouldn't be surprised. This one does too. And so, sometimes as the church preaches on this, there can be a little bit of the idea of like, you know, Pastor, you know, quiet down a little bit. You know, I agree with you, but let's keep it quiet. Let's not announce it. We'll get reported. Listen, we've been doing that for decades. How's it working? Are we winning the culture to repentance by that kind of approach? No, turns out, That pandering to fleshly desires doesn't win people to repentance, okay? We need to unapologetically herald from the rooftops the truths of God regardless of the outcome. Parents, do not be ashamed of the fact that you spank. Let it be known, okay? We need to make this normal again. Of course, physical abuse is wicked and the Bible condemns it. Biblical discipline is done in love, not severe, and it is corrective, In nature. So we might call it biblical corrective discipline. And it has foundations. It has foundations for why it is necessary. The sin nature has so affected us, we are born in danger. We are born with an inclination that will lead us to hell unless something dramatic interjects. Fathers, if you let your children go, they will not turn out sweetly, no matter how many Disney movies tell you it's so. Your children will not grow in to be uh, godly if you let them go. If you let your children go, your child will form into a lusting, vengeful, lazy, fleshly pagan. That is what is natural. Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen. 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. We are born in danger that if left unchecked, we would all become slaves to our lust, slaves to our desires. Monsters of lust will grow inside of us. When children are not disciplined, they become slaves to their flesh, their passions. This is the reason for the tantrum in the grocery store. It is not that they just missed their nap today. Even as adults, when we uh, don't get good sleep and get a little hungry, we can get grouchy and grumpy, but it's not what we're mis- where we're mistaken is we think that that caused my grumpiness. No, no. It was there all along. Uh, Being hungry, being tired can reduce our self-control and our restraints so that it comes out. But it was there all along. The tantrum in the grocery store is a moment that your child is a slave to their lust. Discipline will help them gain mastery over their flesh. They must be brought to a place that they're able to control themselves rather than their lust control them. To fail to discipline is un- is unloving. It-, it is. It is unloving. Now, it's often argued a parent might say something like, "Well, I just love my child so much, I can't I can't spank them. I can't stand to see them hurt." And you know, I don't, I don't wanna be harsh, but we do gotta call it, you know, with, with honesty, that's just not true. It is not that you love your child so much, this one will sting, you love yourself. You love yourself, okay? It is that you don't like the uncomfortable feeling of what it takes to do what is best and show the tough love to your child. A couple things have to happen. Number one, you must believe what the Bible says. You must believe God when he says that your child's soul is in danger. Your child is not naturally right. With God. Your child needs grace. Okay, discipline will serve them tremendously to teach them how to submit to the Lord and His supreme authority, to, to understand what repentance is. Discipline helps us understand what submission is. And then, number two, we must mount up with the courage to do so. Parent, obedience and disobedience, they really are a matter of life and death. It really is life and death. It happens in our modern day that a parent will sometimes find a creative way uh, to get their child to do what they want. But the parent does it without wielding authority. They'll try some psychological stuff. You know, you just got to make him think it was his idea and then he'll do it or reverse psychology, uh, or bribes, whatever. But all of it, again, it's not an attempt to be harsh, but we do want to call it what it is, okay? It is a cowardly approach. It is not a courageous approach. It is the case that a parent can be afraid of their child. We don't like confrontation. Um, a culture where we've been conditioned to think that all disagreement is, is, is hateful and, to, and, and the, the very definition of love is just never upset anybody or it's literally violence. Okay, That kind of language is used. Okay? A culture where we've been conditioned in that kind of way can make us think some things like that concerning children. But the Bible obviously says something different. Foundational truth fathers, your children are not right with God on their own. They are not righteous. They are not innocent. They're not in a good place naturally. You must work to save them from hell. They are given over to their lust naturally and we're trying to bring them to submit to God. That's going to require upsetting them. That's going to require upsetting them. We're working to keep our children from becoming slaves to their sin. All the psychological manipulations, they are an attempt to get certain behavior without wielding the rightful authority that God gave you as their parent. Parent, you exercising your authority in a godly way is serving your child. Your child must learn to live under, uh, the, in submission to the authority of Christ. And we teach them that by subjection to earthly authority. So parent, insist. Insist that your children obey you and that they show you respect. Okay, John Piper is famous for saying, parents demand obedience from your children. My favorite James Dobson quote is, win and win decisively. When there are those moments where there's the battle of the will and rebellion is being threatened. If you let your child win, consistently in those moments, okay? What it does is it increases their rebellion and their disrespect within them. Okay, so so understand, you're not letting them win by letting them do something that they've requested okay no that's part of this good relationship we can ask things of our father and he tells us to but it is losing uh, if there's a battle of the wills and your child comes out on top okay one of those Disney moments again where the child tells off their parents you don't know what it's like you're an idiot you don't get this and the parents are all like oh I'm sorry I didn't understand okay that's that's losing okay that's being a, okay that's being a loser okay uh, in the biblical definition that's losing in the the battle of the wills there. To win doesn't mean your child is left shaking in fear. It means your child has been taught to submit to your authority in this instance. Application number four, love. It is important to address while we're talking about discipline uh, that the Bible puts a protection for children in, in, in the commands. The Bible commands us not to exasperate our children. Ephesians 6, 4. And and, and again, let me back up and there are some foundations for this. Scripture addresses on a number of occasions how we are to speak to people. It makes the point that there are ways to say true things to people, but if they are done in in a in a particular kind of way, we can actually incite, we can provoke a negative response in people, even as we say true things. So, for instance, uh, you're trying to share the gospel with someone, and uh, let's, let's just say you went with this approach. Um, listen to me. You are an idiot. Oh, my goodness. You, you are so blind, you wouldn't see a biblical truth if it bit you on the nose, okay? All right. Is this an effective means of evangelism? Okay, no, but let me ask you a question. Have you said true things? Yeah. Before Christ, we are in idiocy, okay? We are spiritually blind, but there's a way of speaking in which we can provoke negative kinds of responses in people. That's why Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's human nature do a word study sometime on the word uh, gentle. And we'll see that over and over in the New Testament we are told to tell truth. We're even told to rebuke people. And, And we're given the instruction to do so gently. So take that truth, that understanding of human nature and now apply it to parenting. There is a way that we can behave, conduct ourselves, speak towards our children that provokes negative response that incites rebellion. Now listen, they are still responsible. There's still a level of responsibility. But as the Bible oftentimes teaches, we can have guilt in it as well by putting stumbling blocks there. What are some of those ways that as parents we can exasperate and provoke? I think we could sum them up with harsh gracelessness, harsh gracelessness. If we discipline too harshly, speak severely, discipline too much, too often, for too many things, be rigidly strict in matters that are not necessary, fail to delight in our children, or set standards that are unreasonably high so that they're never able to make you happy. When those kinds of things happen, resentment often builds in children towards their parents. Look, we know from you know some, some uh, biblical accounts and from nature, God has wired up your children to desire you, um, they want your affection. Fathers in particular, um, Doug Wilson calls it father hunger, that God has wired um, into your children a desire for you to approve of them for you to be proud of them. We have a natural kind of desire. We want our dads to be pleased with us. Um, We know what happens when girls go without their father's affection. They oftentimes seek that affection somewhere else. Um, it's It's a real thing. We have this need for the security that we are delighted in and God has put this in as a help to earthly families, but also because you have a father in heaven that we are to ultimately seek to please and we want him to be pleased with us. And this is meant to be a motivating, something that drives us with zeal. I want him to be pleased with me. So when a father punishes too harshly, speaks severely, says hurtful things, is strict just to be strict. The answer to everything is always no. When a child just cannot live up to their parents' expectations, usually, e- eventually, resentment builds in the heart of the children. And I, I want to say a word of warning here. I have in my lifetime seen an awful lot of, of church families come undone and you can trace it to the root of cold, harsh, severe legalism. I've seen it destroy marriages. Cold legalism is toxic. Self-righteous severity is toxic. I have seen it destroy more marriages than I ever guessed would happen either in the end in divorce or they're just miserable and hate each other i have seen children eventually come to just despise their parents and will no longer speak to them but at church everybody everything looked fine cuz dad made sure that on you know sunday mornings you you get in there don't you embarrass me you you make sure you put on a good look and we're we're going to look good when we get there, but at home it was cold and severe and it melts down, that's that's exasperating. And, and there's a danger there. Fathers, we're trying to win our children to love Jesus. And and cold legalistic severity actually makes the gospel look ugly because we're misrepresenting the gospel. We're, we're preaching a false gospel by doing it. Understand that strictness does not equal godliness. There are matters we gotta be strict in, okay? The matters that are black and white. We have to be strict in those things. But then there are a lot of matters that we do not have to be. Strictness just for strictness's sake isn't godly. Remember the Pharisees. When we discipline, make your children know that you love them and care for them, that you have affection for them even as you do it. And... Um, when it's over forgive, reconcile and make it be over uh, hanging on to the the, the resentment and the, the the bitter feelings that have been there for a long period of time kind of gives this impression that you know, you're just never going to be okay, you're holding on to the punishment, forgive, reconcile don't hang on to it, forgive and delight and if your child cannot live up to your expectations now what I'm going to say here You know, some might say it doesn't sound scriptural or it's going to sound soft, but I ask you to actually weigh it against the scripture. If your children cannot live up to your expectations, it might be that the issue is on them. Maybe they're not trying enough. But it's also possible that your expectations are too high. Perfection is an unreasonable expectation. Near perfection is an unreasonable expectation expectation. Now, don't get me wrong. Our children need to understand that being proud of them, approving of them, and being pleased with them, like there does need to be something worthy of that happening. Okay? Um, You know, the self-esteem false gospel is producing a generation who thinks everybody should clap for them because they're existing. Okay? Um, That's not what the word means. Okay? Our our children do need to understand. I I expect big things from you. I, I do expect you to grow and to form, and, and, and that there, you know, it can't just be a, a, a mediocre kind of life and that that will win my praise. No, that's not reality. But our expectation also has to be possible and appropriate to the age and appropriate to um, maybe even circumstances for the child. If our children cannot live up to our expectations, it might mean that we need to lower them. It might sound soft, but do you remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? You put burdens on people they cannot bear. In other words, you are giving them a law and making them think that they can never please God. And that's not true. That's not the gospel. Christian, you live not under law, but under grace. In the situation under the law, you could not please God because it is nothing but the standard of perfection and we all fell short. But God gave the gospel of grace. Moms and dads, even though every single work and everything you touch is tainted by the uncleanness of your hands because you are still a sinner, does God accept anything that you do as good? Yes. Why? Grace. That's the gospel. That's the situation we're under of the gospel. The gospel needs to impact all of our relationships. The gospel teaches us how to do marriage. The gospel teaches us to forgive our enemies. The gospel teaches us how to love uh, the widow, the orphan, and, and, and even those difficult people that we have in our lives. And the gospel must inform us how we do parenting. God deals with us in grace. We must deal with them in grace. If you have never turned to Christ, you need to know the Bible says you must be saved. God has made this gospel available to you. He sent his son to die, uh, to bleed for it, to pay the justice price of sins. You must be saved, the Bible says. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Believe in him. Trust in him and you will be saved. And the gospel must influence everything that we do. So, parents, love your children. Delight in them. Delight in them. Your children are blessings and gifts from God. Delight in them. Your, your children are not a nuisance. Your, your children are gifts from God. Delight in them. Regard them in that way. And and when you do, and when you live with that appropriate amount of toughness and tenderness that we're all trying to figure out, your children will want your approval. They will want it. And that love that you show them will cover a multitude of transgressions. When we mess up, because you're gonna, that forgiveness that your children are willing to offer to you, that love, that grace will will help cover those things. By the way, I also believe strongly that uh, parents we ought to apologize and seek our children's forgiveness when we wrong them uh, in our ways that we do this. We are teaching things even in that, and we're trying to win them to love Jesus. Being a, a an arrogant hypocrite doesn't help win, win them, them to, to see, see the b- beauty of the gospel. Love your children. And win them. Win their hearts. Win them to be on board. Win them so that they're on board with your philosophy. Don't just do what you do. Tell them why you do what you do. Uh, tell them why you discipline. Tell them why we gather together uh, for a family Bible study. Help them to want that and desire that. Win them to see that what you are doing is serving them. And pray without ceasing that God will give the grace of saving them and calling them to himself. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, it is it is our, our great desire, uh, us moms and dads who have children, it's, it's the thing we want above all others. Please save our children. And we ask, oh God, that you'll use us in this. Father, I pray that in our church, you will give progress and growth that every single family uh, will increase, excel still more, oh God, in the raising. Father, we pray that from our church, we will raise up generations of those who fear you, love you, worship you, obey you, and serve you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed, God bless. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TrueVineIND or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.